Mark's gospel was the first written. In around the 60s AD, 30 years after Jesus' death, this gospel has a sense of urgency that pervades it. Jesus always immediately leaving from one place and traveling to the next. And he is accompanied by a bunch of dudes, those disciples who really seem like dunces. They just don't get it. Jesus will even repeat himself within this gospel, and still they seem to be clueless. In Mark, we also have a Jesus who wants to keep who he is a secret, constantly telling others not to speak of what they have seen. And it's a gospel that's notorious for the fact that there is no birth narrative. There are no angels heralding heralding on high or shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. Instead, we start when Jesus is in the midst of ministry and we end abruptly in the heartache of Jesus' death. Only later did some Damascan Disney add the resurrection because we all want our happy ending after all. And today we meet a Messiah encountering the religious elite, the good old boys club of Jerusalem, who, upon meeting Jesus' followers, find fault. And we are faced with conflicting priorities. And we are asked today, as those followers of Christ, the crowds gathered, those scribes and Pharisees were all asked, what are our priorities? What do we find important and significant enough to end up on our laundry list. A reading from the book of Mark. Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered round him, they noticed that some of the disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders and they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? He said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. Then he called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile it but the things that come out are what defile. For it is from within, from the human heart, that the evil intentions come. Fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Amen. Would you please pray with me? 
Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight. For you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My husband Dan and I have this list. It's actually this list right here. Our laundry list, if you will, our house to-dos. It's on the one hand, conveniently vague and annoyingly specific. Um, we're supposed to clean our gutters, clean off the roof, weed the gravel, <laughs> get a quote for the basement and then think about fixing it. Um, we're supposed to get an edger on 7-8 and that box is still left blank. We, we attempt to check things off as we go and Sometimes we do and sometimes we totally forget, like I totally got rid of that big bush that was on the list, but somehow forgot to check it off. We keep these lists of things that are priorities for us, things that we are meant to do or achieve, these laundry lists. Ed grew up the son of launders. His family was in the business of other people's dirty laundry. Before in-home washers and permanent press were common, people would send out their laundry. And Ed would stand for hours after school or on weekends, folding sheets and linens, using the laundry list as his guide. I love, I actually looked up an old laundry list just to see what was on them. Things like uh, union suit is on it, which I don't know if any of you know what a union suit is, but I have no idea. Um, also, undervests, which I don't know what an undervest is either. These lists were specific, detail-oriented. See, they wanted to make sure that they got people's items back to them correctly, to make sure that the laundry was done appropriately, washed in the right way. Unlike my husband and I, who mix all of our laundry together and then shove it in with soap and pray that nothing shrinks or expands or bleeds onto something else. There was a time where the details were important. We hear of the first laundry list or washing bills in the Victorian era, and the euphemism laundry list arrives in the 1940s. Now we all have these lists. Maybe literally, maybe some of you do keep a laundry list. But more importantly, these lists speak of the larger schemes of our lives. They help establish our priorities and make explicit our hopes, holding us accountable. And within this scripture, we are met with two conflicting laundry lists. The scribes and Pharisees, the keepers of the law, or for them, the great and final list of what made you righteous. And then we have Jesus, the son of a carpenter, the son of an unmarried woman who left everything to teach and preach largely not in the synagogues, but in the markets and on mountaintops, on the streets and by streams. Jesus, who came to remind us all of the law of love, the laundry list that really matters. Although, when initially reading Jesus' words from this passage, I found myself cringing a little bit, and maybe you did too, at the pervading sense of condemnation, that evil comes from within. So often when I read words like these, I skip over them and jump ahead. 
Let's move away from that sin stuff and get back to the love that feels so good. But there's wisdom in this unholy laundry list, too. For when God created the world, God declared it good and called us beloved. But we find ourselves sometimes separated from that goodness, divided from that divine love. Not from what we take in. It's not those things from the outside of us, as Jesus said, but it's from within our human hearts that evil intentions can sometimes come. Now, Jesus does not say, as Augustine would later, that the human heart is evil or depraved. Jesus says that the heart is where evil intentions can come, remaining that the human heart is good and loved, as God declared it on that early days of creation. But often we find ourselves, and I find myself, misdirecting my heart. See, the 12 acts that Jesus rattles off in his unholy laundry list are things that turn us inward. Selfish intentions, vices of our own consumption and ego. Springing from a need, a desire, a longing, a hunger, maybe an emptiness, or maybe a desire for more. In a commentary from this passage, Episcopal layperson and theologian Elizabeth Webb writes, If our desire for self-satisfaction is allowed to run rampant, we become insatiable consumers of things, of course, but also of pleasures or people or even our own energy. And ultimately, the question in this passage and the question in all of our lives is, How do we desire as God desires? How do the practices in which we engage, or not, form our hearts to desire rightly? Whatever you do, whatever your traditions, your practices, or whatever you give your time and energy and talents to, ask about your intentions. Our heart is a place where our intentions arise. And our intentions can be pure and good and true. This isn't a change to live intentionally that Jesus hopes for us to make one day far in the future when it's convenient and easy. It's not a change that we want to make in the midst of a crisis or when our deep need, in our deep need we cling. But it's something that Christ calls us to now. For God's kingdom is upon us. And the order of God's kingdom triumphs and trumps all others in order to live and to love with a right heart, our intentions explored. Like the scribes and Pharisees, we find ourselves falling into false ways of living. The claim that the Pharisees make within this passage that all Jews follow the same tradition, washing their hands in a specific way, is globalizing, and it's an overstatement. The fact that some of the disciples were not washing their hands is proof that not everyone lives their life of faith in the same way. One size does not fit all. And how often do we find ourselves falling into that line of thinking? That all good people or all good Christians or all good mothers or all good fathers 
all good parents or all good children do it this way? How often do our actions prescribed by societal expectations or convention or tradition fall into what the scribes and Pharisees were talking about rather than Jesus? Have we too abandoned the commandment of God and do we sometimes hold onto human tradition? One is living right or well by the world's standards in opposition to God's will. But how do we even start exploring our own intentions? How do we know what is truly within our heart? There's this type of meditation or prayer that asks that we make space for our heart, that we look within it honestly and authentically. It was an early Christian belief, and still a belief of many, that there is a center in the body where love and spirit are joined as one, and that center is the heart. It is our heart that aches, and it is our heart that breaks. It is our heart that can fill, brimming to the top with compassion and love. And in moments, our hearts can feel empty, too. Our hearts can hold on to the pain from the past and hopes for the future. Our hearts hold wisdom. But so often, we ignore the wisdom of the heart for the knowledge of the head, living up here rather than living down in here. So how do we listen to our hearts, the longing from within? Today we will do a short meditation or prayer together. Now this might feel a little strange for some of you, and maybe I'm into a little bit of strange just having come back from Portland, Oregon, where strange seems to pervade every part of culture. But strange can be good. And trying new and different ways of being people of faith is important. Taking time to listen rather than filling space with pleas and petition. Taking time to listen is important. So begin by sitting in a comfortable position. And if you're comfortable, close your eyes and breathe. For just this moment, let go of your thoughts and of the outside world. Let go of any judgment of yourself or of others. And focus your attention on your spiritual heart in the middle of your chest. And be aware of your heart as a space. So often we ignore it. But take a moment to listen. Maybe putting your heart over where your heart, your hand over where your heart is. Can you feel it beating? Pulsing blood through your body, bringing life. Focus on the heart. 
All you need is there. Resting your attention easily on your heart, breathe gently in and out. And sense your breath flowing into your heart, your chest rising and falling. Breathe in slowly and out, taking time. There is no rush here. Let your breath go in and out. And as it does, ask your heart what it needs. Don't phrase it as an order Just have the faint intention that what you want is to listen. You may begin to feel emotions or memories may wash over you, wishes, fears, frustrations, and dreams. Maybe new dreams or maybe ones that you forgot from long ago. As it does, pay attention. You may have a flash of a strong emotion. Let the experience be what it is. If you daydream or this is the only time if you drift off to sleep in church, don't worry. Just bring your intention back to your heart. And we're going to take a minute and be here in this space. As you feel comfortable, you can wiggle your fingers and maybe open your eyes. See, God speaks to us in many ways. That goodness that God put within us is still there, desiring for us. But so often we do not take the time to listen. When we listen to our hearts, we are faced with some of the intentions where we go awry, where we find ourselves listening to that need for more, where envy and pride and ego peek their heads. 
And if we don't listen to our hearts, we risk letting these voices lead. But if we keep listening to our hearts, we will hear God call us and call to us. We will hear God say that we are enough and that we are beloved. This past May, Mindy Kaling, known for her role in the office and as creator of the Mindy Project, she spoke to graduates at her alma mater, Dartmouth College. And she spoke of her lists, the lists that she made as an 18-year-old entering into those ivy walls, and then again, the lists that she made when she was 21 leaving them. Mindy talked about how far she had strayed from the person that she had wanted to be, or the person she had envisioned herself being, that list that she had made when she was 21. She reflected about how when she brought her daughter home December of 2017, a time when spouse and mom were supposed to be there, she had neither. Her mom having passed away from cancer in 2012 and entering motherhood as a single parent, Kayling reflected that she was initially scared, wondering, can I do this alone? But she remembered that she wasn't alone. She was surrounded by family and friends who loved her and who loved her little one. She told graduates, don't be worried about doing things in the wrong order or letting things go. If you have a checklist, she said, good for you. Structured ambition can be a good thing, but also feel free to let it go. Yes, the major advice I am giving you this graduation day can also be found in a Disney movie, but really be okay with letting go. Looking at our laundry lists, whether our literal ones or our metaphorical ones, I wonder for me if I am setting the wrong intention for my heart and if I too need to let go. And in the week ahead, I wonder what it would look like to create a laundry list that Christ calls us to. One dedicated to radical, non-conditional, extravagant love for ourselves, for others, for God. So that our hearts beat in unison with the goodness and love that God gave us from our very creation. This morning, our wonderful ushers handed out these cards and maybe a pen and a pencil. If not, you can use the front of your bulletin and the pens and the pews. And maybe we can create countercultural lists on these cards. Not ones that speak to tradition or expectation, but ones that let us list three ways we feel God calling us to listen to our hearts. Hopefully this isn't work. It's not supposed to be another to-do list. We are, after all, on a three-day weekend where we're supposed to be laborless. But maybe we can list three ways of being that call us into fullness, ways that remind us of who we are, of who God is, of how we're to be with one another. So take a moment to write these three things. I'm going to take a moment, too.
If you need time, take it home and pray and write your three things down. Maybe you'll put it on your fridge or on your mirror in your bathroom or on your bedside table. Maybe this is the laundry list to live by for you and for me. And may we start this week of intention by gathering. As Christians have gathered for thousands of years intentionally around this table where the simple is made sacred, where we listen to God still speaking and where we are heard and loved just as we are. Amen.